we pray. Amen. <clears throat> and so um, the Eucharist, uh, getting into this, I want to talk about uh, what it is, and um, and and we are going to uh, kind of look into some scripture. So if you have your Bibles, get Luke 22 and verse number 7. Just kind of uh, get that dog-eared ready for you to turn to. But the word Eucharist, and again, some people would call it remembrance, some people call it communion, some call it the Lord's Supper. That's that's something that we oftentimes uh, hear. But Eucharist is from a Greek word found in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, 24. And, um, and so the reason why I'm not uncomfortable using the term Eucharist is because it originates from a Greek word that is found in the Bible. And um, and it's essentially, it's when Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper, and he says, and when he had given thanks, it's that word right there, that word thanks, given thanks, that is that Greek word there, that is our, those two words in English, given thanks, it's out of that Greek word that Eucharist uh, comes from. And so the, the, the idea itself essentially means giving thanks. And so um, <clears throat> I'm not opposed to using uh, the phrase Eucharist. Um, uh, again, uh, you can call it the Lord's Supper. Uh, we often call it communion. Uh, but <clears throat> again, uh, it is known to many as the Eucharist. And so um, it's based off of that, but we know that it's more than just giving thanks. But I want us to understand that that these are things about communion or the Eucharist that we do not believe. And so the Catholics, the first one here, the Catholics believe in an idea that is called transubstantiation say that really quick right where you are transubstantiation all of you are going to be scholars by the time that we're done here but transubstantiation essentially is the catholic belief that the bread and wine they use real wine for their communion they believe that the bread and the wine literally not figuratively but literally, they believe that it becomes the real presence of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so they really do believe that when they put that, that bread in their mouth, that it becomes literally, it becomes the, 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 the flesh or the body of Jesus Christ. And when they drink that wine, they really do believe that it becomes the blood, the actual blood of Jesus Christ. And so that's called transubstantiation. We do not believe that, not at all. Um, and so that's the first thing that we do not believe about communion. The second thing that we do not believe is very similar but you'll notice the, that the, the prefix is different. It's con versus tran, but we don't believe in consubstantiation. 
And most people that would believe this would be like, say, Lutherans. Lutherans would believe this. And it's the idea that the body and blood of Christ and the bread and wine, they coexist in union with each other. Okay. And we don't believe that. So what we believe the the bread and the wine and we partake of grape juice um again i'm not i don't have time to get into it tonight but it's not so much what's in the cup but it's what the cup represents and that is it's a it's a uh, a symbol of the blood of jesus christ and uh, i am a firm believer that you could put water in the cup and you could put uh, food dye in there and make it red. Um, it's it's the symbol. Because we don't believe in tran or consubstantiation, we understand and recognize that the bread and the and the liquid we use or the grape juice that we use, we understand that it is a symbol of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that's the, the focus or the emphasis of what we're doing. Now, uh, the events and the activities that, that occurred at this Last Supper, and if you have your Bibles in Luke 22, 7, why don't we go ahead and turn there? It says, then came the day, starting in verse number seven, of unleavened bread, when, uh, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water, follow him into the house where he entereth in. And you shall say to the good men of the house, the master saith unto thee, where is the guest chamber? where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples. And he shall show you a large upper room furnished, there make ready. And they went and found as had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the 12 disciples with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not eat I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And here is what we remember, and this is where the symbol of the blood and the bread come into play. He took the cup, gave thanks, and said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks, and he brake it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. And so when we partake of communion, um, we are engaging in this as a service of remembrance. We are remembering the blood that was shed and the body that was 
broken and lacerated. Now, his bones were not broken, but his body was broken. His bone, his, his flesh was cut and lacerated. It was pierced. He endured unbelievable sorrow. And so when we participate in communion, we are being obedient to that command of his in Luke twenty-two nineteen. 19, that says, this do in remembrance of me. It is a very special service, a very special time where we slow down and we focus on the sacrifice that was made for you and I. Now, some people ask me, how come we don't do the Eucharist or communion, you know, more than once a year? Now, we could, um, and there might be times that I will, but we do not believe in, 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 the, in the facet of what I call mass, you know, where where it's almost it's every week i think uh, some people can partake of the communion or or engage in that uh we don't want to make this something that becomes a ritual or something that is common and so this is why a lot of times we partake of it once a year around the beginning of the year and it's to uh set our focus and uh kind of launch us into the new year beginning with his sacrifice and as we are reaching for vision as 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 people of god and we want to we want to read our bibles and 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 be better and learn and grow and and uh start our year off right uh partaking of communion and remembering the sacrifice and recommitting ourselves uh, because i'm going to get into this and i don't know how much i'll be able to cover tonight but uh, you know, communion is also a covenantal uh, service. It, it's a it's a covenantal meal, if I could put it that way. And in covenant, we are committing ourselves and we are recommitting ourselves. We are uh, just letting God know that not only are we remembering what you did in the past, but we are going to let what you did propel us into a future that that honors your sacrifice and and makes your sacrifice um, an endeavor in our lives that brings forth fruit. And so um, when we look at communion and what we're going to be doing on Sunday, we have to understand that that uh, scripture that we read, you hear the, the word Passover and the Last Supper uh, that we commonly know we have to understand that it it contains a tremendous amount of symbolism um and i can't get into all of it but when you get into uh the last supper and you start looking at the communion and all these things together um, you start realizing that the last supper in the gospels has a great amount of symbolism that echoes uh, Old Testament concepts and ideas. And one of those ideas, and you'll find this back in Exodus, where God uh, called the, the the elders and Moses uh, up up to the, the mountain. And they there it says that they sat down together with God. And there they ate a meal uh, in God's presence. And, and for us to understand what was going on, and this is something in the Old Testament, that was a covenantal meal. That was a covenant meal. So it was a meal where 
conditions were ratified or they were established. God was essentially saying, I am going to be your uh, vassal king. I'm going to be your king. I'm going to be your protector. I'm going to be your provider. But you also have to agree to abide by uh, my requirements and the things that I want. So in other words, if you will submit yourself to my requirements and my uh, callings, I will uh, and this is all caught up in the ancient Near East, but I will be essentially like a vassal king to you and protect you and provide and 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 I will essentially be over you. And those were ratified by covenant meals. And so when you look at the Last Supper and you look at communion, it has a lot of similarities to covenant meals. Uh, it also, uh, if you spend a little time reading the Bible, it's very similar to the table of showbread. The table of showbread, uh, it was, that was an article of furniture in the tabernacle that you find in Exodus. Exodus chapter 25 begins all the tabernacle stuff. But on that table of showbread, literally the table of showbread was the table of presence. Um, it was designed, erected, and placed in the holy place right outside the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And on that table, there were 12 loaves of bread. So there was bread on the table. There were cups for pouring drink offerings, uh, uh, which was a wine offering. There were dishes and utensils for the service of that table. And so even on the at, at the table of showbread or the table of presents, you see some very uh, unique connections to uh, this communion premise, you've got bread and wine and dishes and utensils, and there's a table. And then, of course, you cannot get into the Last Supper communion without the Passover in mind. And so for us to understand, Jesus mentions the preparation of the Passover. Now, whether Jesus actually participated in an actual Passover meal with them. Um, I lean towards that this was more like a Passover cedar or, or seder. Um, and, and what I mean by that, that Passover cedar, um, S-E-D-E-R, that was a meal um, that celebrated or started. It was before the Passover. Um, it was a companion type meal of celebration. Uh, we don't know exactly um, what uh, meal this was. It could have been the Passover, but what's important to understand is the Passover is very connected to what Jesus did. And for the, for the Jews, the Passover was one of the most deeply covenantal and symbolic meals of their national identity. And so for Jesus, you've got to understand that all his childhood life, Jesus would have um, journeyed with his parents like all the other Jews, and he would have partook in the events of the Passover. It would have been something he did every single year. Now, if you remember uh, the Passover, um, it, was, it, it goes all the way back to um, the events of the Exodus under, under Moses, um, you remember the blood on the doorpost from the freshly slain uh, Passover, the Paschal lamb. 
They had bitter herbs, unleavened bread, um, and the lamb that was placed at the table uh, that was to be consumed entirely. Uh, that feast would happen every single year, and Jews would consistently go up to Jerusalem to keep the Passover and celebrate their exodus from Egypt. Now, it is very important to note that the Passover was not an open table, uh, and just remember that, but it was a covenant feast. In other words, only Israelites could eat of it, and if any Gentile foreigner wanted to take part in the Passover, they would have to first be circumcised and enter into covenant, okay? So this was no ordinary meal. This wasn't just some get-together. It was deeply symbolic, covenantal, very sacred to the Jews. And so by the time of the first century, um, the Passover was not just a meal, but it was a sacrifice. And the, and the sacrifice was made at the temple in Jerusalem. And so let me just explain this. You can't just go buy a lamb at the market and bring it home and slaughter it for the Passover meal by the time you get there. According to their customs, you've got to go bring that lamb, take it to the temple, give it to the priest to ordain, and the priest with you present would sacrifice that Passover lamb. And um, uh, there is a, there's a historian, uh, uh, Josephus, uh, and I'm going to read for you exactly what he said. And he was a historian around uh, that, that century. He said, so these high priests, upon the coming of their feast, which is called Passover, when they slay their sacrifices from the ninth hour to the eleventh hour, but so that a company not less than ten belong to every sacrifice, for it is not lawful for them to feast singularly by themselves. And many of us are 20 in a company found the number of sacrifices was 256,500. That, and he's talking about the amount of sacrifices that were done. Uh, he said, essentially, it amounted to about 2,700,200 persons. The amount of sacrifices made would account for that many people. So there's a lot of people coming and bringing their sacrifice to the temple, and a priest is taking it and sacrificing it for them. Now, we've got to understand this. Not only at the time of Jesus was the Passover a sacrifice, but it was a meal of remembrance that looked backward to the deliverance from Egypt. So during the Passover, those that were at the table they would remember and make present, you know, it would be a present reality of that meal, the events of the original Exodus, when God brought them out of Egypt. And when you go back to Deuteronomy 6, uh, some of those things that were taught, uh, it, would, it would provoke questions. Why are we doing this? What is it for? Why the bitter herbs? Why the unleavened bread? Why the name the Pas <clears throat> Passover? And so it would become a feast that not only remembered the past and what God had done for them, but it was also a way to make the Exodus present in every generation to remember it. Now, 
what I want us to understand is by the time that Jesus celebrated the Passover, they weren't just focusing on the past Exodus, but you also need to know that there was another premise in their mind where they were also awaiting the Messiah. In other words, it was not just a night of remembering, but it was a night where they they watched for the future hope, which was the Messiah. So this is something that is so incredibly powerful about uh, the Passover. And also when we partake of communion, not only are we remembering in like fashion, not only are we remembering <clears throat> what God did for us, but we are also looking toward the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are looking for the day that Jesus will return, where we will achieve our final exodus, <laughs> where we will be raptured out of this mortal body, those of us that have been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, evidence of speaking in other tongues, where we will receive our resurrected glorious bodies, and we will be, we will essentially be snatched out of this world. That is going to be the final exodus. And so at the time of Jesus, the Passover represented a past and a future premise, remembering what God did for them, but it was also awaiting the future exodus of the Messiah. And in their case, uh, they were watching for the return of the Messiah, who in their mind was going to redeem them, make them uh, once again the head and not the tail. But for them, it was going to be the king riding in with triumph and war. And so that's very important for us to understand. And so when you get back to, to, to Luke 22, 7, um, and, and Jesus meeting the disciples in that upper room, and um, the furnishings and everything that's there, there's several things that I, I need us to remember um, about, this, um, <clears throat> about this moment. Uh, number one, the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem, by the time that Jesus went to that upper room, they had already determined that Jesus had to die. So there was pretty much already a death sentence in, in the secret chambers of the Sanhedrin. There was already a death sentence that was essentially agreed upon that Jesus had to die. The second thing we've got to remember that's already um, happened is after the meal at the house of Simon the leper, Mary anoints Jesus's feet with expensive perfume. Most of you are now remembering that. And it's there that Judas decides shortly after that moment. It's, it's something about that moment serves as the catalyst. And it's after that moment that Judas decides to betray the Lord. He then approaches, goes and approaches the chief priest and receives advance payment, 30 shekels of silver, to betray Jesus Christ. And then the third thing 
that has happened by the time that Jesus has sat down in this room and goes to the Last Supper is he has already made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Um, and and um, he has cleansed the temple. He is in, in my, you know, of course, that further further infuriated the, the Jewish leaders. And he has, he has been approached by Judas. Uh, and when approached by G- Judas, um, those men were more than happy. After all the stuff Jesus had done, they were more than happy to take Judas's offer of betrayal. And um, so um, when Jesus sends his disciples to go find this room, he sends only two of his most trusted to secure the location and prepare. And my opinion for that is, is he needed to keep this secret uh, because I think he, of course, knows Judas is going to betray him. Jesus needs more time with his disciples for this Last Supper. And so Luke 22 and 14, it tells us when you get into 22, 14, it says, when the hour was come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Now, I'm not going to go through all the things that happened there, that'll be another thing. But what I do want to focus on in this moment is where they sat down. And this is important because they they, they reclined to eat. Now they ate in a Eastern fashion, not a Western fashion. So they would have reclined and there would have been perhaps a, a little table in front of them. Um, what's important to understand about this moment and I, I did talk about this last year, but I'm going to talk about it every year, is we oftentimes get extremely focused on the bread and the wine. And, and that's important because on Sunday, we are going to, uh, with you know bread, unleavened bread wafers and grapefruit juice, we are going to, um, we are going to remember the bread, the, the blood and the body of Jesus Christ through the symbolism of those two things. But what is oftentimes missed in the communion uh, premise is, um, if I can just put it this way, is essentially the table. That is what is oftentimes uh, overlooked. Now, why is this important? Why is the table important? Why does the table matter? And this is what I want us to understand, how important this table really is. When you, when you get there uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and feel free to turn there with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, um, he starts with the statement, the Apostle Paul He says, wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. He said, I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing, which we bless. Now, he's talking about communion. He's talking about this Lord's Supper. He says, the cup of blessing, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion 
of the body of Christ or the koinonia. Now, this is very, very, very um, important. And I, I need us to uh, get this and, and I want us to comprehend this. So uh, if, if you have something to underline or write down or look at, um, we need to write it down. That word communion is very, very important to um, what we do when we commemorate through the Eucharist or communion, these, the, the, the blood and the body of Christ. That word communion is koinonia. Oftentimes it's fellowship. And so if you're reading this again, think with me essentially the cup of blessing which we bless is it not the fellowship of the blood of Christ and the bread which we break? Is it not the koinonia, the fellowship of the body of Christ? Now look, he's tying in the communion um, commemoration, the bread and, 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 and the grape juice. He's tying the those two symbols to koinonia. And what I want to present to you is that while we commemorate and remember what Jesus did for us, one of the foundational and fundamental key importances of this, of this service that we're going to have is we are, we are also connecting it to the idea of communion or koinonia, or fellowship of the body of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17. It says, for we, being many, are one bread. Now remember, the church is called the body of Christ, and the bread represents the body of Christ. And so, I, I want this to really make sense to all of us right now because this is so pivotal to understanding communion service and what we do. We are not gathering together. This is why we are engaging the core of us. We are engaging on Saturday night. We're engaging in foot washing. And the reason why I believe foot washing is so important and God's been really dealing with me it's not because there's not, uh, you know, maybe a modern way in which we can do foot washing. But again, it's like, why reinvent the wheel? Foot washing and what Jesus did at the Lord's Supper, it, it presented the idea of submit yourselves one to another. And you got to remember that at this table, they begin to argue at one point during this supper, about who's going to sit on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus Christ. I mean, who gets to have the position of honor? And this was a common issue that they had, that there's a lot of wranglings for position. And so when Jesus takes off his outer cloak and he goes and he takes and puts on the, 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 the cloak or the robe of a servant and he gets a water and a towel and he gets down on his hands and knees, and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples, he then makes the statement, he goes, this do also as an example. 
He goes, continue to do this as an example. And so the reason why foot washing is important is foot washing helps to get us as a koinonia, as a fellowship, as individual members, it helps to get us into the body without division, without, you know, one person over another. But when we get down on our hands and our knees to serve one another and to wash one another's feet, we are putting aside selfish ambitions and desires. We are aligning the body to become that koinonia, that fellowship that Jesus wants. And so that is why the foot washing part is so important. And uh, I, I have begun to see foot washing in a light that is frankly, um, God has just staggered me uh, with the power of foot washing and, and how it connects to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and the koinonia or the fellowship of the body. And so he says in 17, for we being many are one bread. The bread is a symbol of the body of Christ, and we are the body of Christ. We don't want to be a, a fractured bread or a fractured, fragmented bread. You know, and I thought to myself, when they went and they got the bread after he served the 5,000, there were 12 baskets of fragments left over. I know this is a stretch, but sometimes I think that that's the representation of the church. We, we, we ought not to be fragmented. We, we, we shouldn't be pulling us apart. Um, when we talk of the body, we are one, and we are one in him. And, and the sacrifice or the breaking of the, of the body of Jesus Christ, it was broken so that we may be whole. And, and nothing divides or breaks the body or the bread more than division and strife and envy and, and vainglory. And, 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 and we could go down that list, but that is why God is so big on unity. And so we're, verse 17, we, are, we being many are one bread, one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Would you admit whether you like the person that sits five pews away from you in church, that at the end of the day, those of us that are a part of the body, we're all partaking in the same sacrifice that was made for us. And again, that's why foot washing helps bring us down to that place of submitting ourselves one to another to serve one another. Uh, verse number 18, Behold Israel after the flesh. Are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship, koinonia, with devils. Now, he's talking about something separate here, but 21 is the key. There's two tables, and this is where the table's important. This is where communion, I think we really need to 
laser beam focused communion on. He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. And so for us to understand this, um, many of you have heard me talk about the theology of the table where Jesus uh, seems to just really do some of his greatest work at tables. Levi, the tax collector, uh, the table with the publicans and sinners, the table that he ate with, ate at when Mary anointed his feet, uh, dinner at a table with Zacchaeus, the table where he dined at the home of a Pharisee. So Jesus is at tables a lot. And so when you pull all these things together, tables represent something in Scripture. Um, go back to David. In an act of kindness, King David uh, invited the crippled Mephibosheth to, quote, eat bread at my table continually. So to be invited to the table of King David, it was to be invited into a place of perpetual relationship and covenant. Not just anybody could sit at the king's table. Um, we find another table um, in the story of Jezebel. The Bible said that Jezebel's false prophets ate at her table. And so that was the table of Jezebel. So the table really implies relationship. If you're at the table, you've been invited to the table. Uh, again, don't overlook the fact that when we uh, ratify or consummate our being, uh, making it to heaven, the Bible said that we are going to enjoy together as the redeemed the marriage supper of the Lamb. What does that uh, essentially speak to? It alludes to a table that we are going to gather around those of us that have made it to heaven, that have been redeemed by the blood, filled with the spirit. Remember, uh, and, and this is something that I could go into, is except a man be born again of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I have to, I, I want to be at the table of koinonia, the table of fellowship. And so the table is very important. And so when we come together, um, we are approaching not just communion from the remembrance of what he did for us, but we are remembering what his sacrifice made possible. And that was the church. And without the church, we're, we're hopeless because the church is the vehicle by which we make it to heaven because we are called the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. And so when, when, when we approach communion and the way that we do communion is the table so important, what we're doing is we are approaching the table. And as brothers and sisters of the Lord, uh, and even those of us that are new that wanna be a part of what God's doing, what we're doing is we are approaching that table and we are recognizing that invita invitation we've been given. And I don't want uh, sin in my life at that table. 
uh, God cleansed me and made me pure so that I can have koinonia, fellowship at that table. Uh, the table of showbread in Leviticus 24 and 6, it was called a pure or a clean table. And that's what God wants this table to be. And so Paul said, you, when you sit at the table of the Lord, you can't also be one that sits at the table of the devil. And you can't drink from the Lord's cup if you drink of, of the devil's cup. And, and all of that fits together uh, that, that no man can serve two masters. And so the reason why fasting is such a, to me such an important part of preparing for the Eucharist or the communion service is I am making sure that I'm preparing my heart. I am making sure that when I approach that table, I am so thankful for the koinonia, the fellowship of the body of Jesus Christ, that I get, I get the privilege to sit down with my brothers and my sisters, and we submit one to another, and we, we have washed our feet, and we have, we have become servants, not lords over one another, not somebody talented above another, and we don't envy one another. We don't, we're not jealous of one another, we're, but we care about one another. We love one another. Why? Because of what Jesus did for us. And the greatest expression of redemption, while it is you and I as individuals, the greatest expression of redemption is revealed in the table of fellowship as the body of Christ comes together as the church, as one bread. Think about that. We are able to be one bread because he, his body was broken for us. And so his brokenness allowed for our wholeness and we become whole and we get to come and sit at the table and, 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 and you, even though we'll be standing in our chairs, we'll, I'll actually call everybody up to the altar and we'll make room. Uh, even though we'll be uh, standing there as individuals with the grape juice and the wafer, it's not, don't think about it as I'm standing by myself. No, you're pulling up a chair at the table of fellowship and your feet have been cleansed by your brother and by your sister. You have stooped down already and you have cleansed the feet of your brother and your sister. And man, I feel the Holy Ghost. And you have sacrificed your pride and you have humbled yourself in the sight of God and in the sight of your brothers. And when you come together at that table of fellowship and you remember what he did for you, you're with the family of God. You're with your wife and your children, your husband, your wife, and your and 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 Cherith and, and and Rick Jones and and Sister Julie and all these people that are gathered together. And this is a holy moment because you are partaking of the symbolism of the of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And we 
get to enjoy the church. The folks, Antioch family does not gain true meaning until we stand together in communion, koinonia, with one another, having washed one another's feet on that Saturday night. And I'm, so I'm going to go ahead and say, I, I, I feel that Saturday night's foot washing, we're going to meet it at 6 o'clock. We're going to talk a little bit about it. And then we're going to do it. We're going to end with prayer together. We're going to come back in. The women are going to separate from the men to do this. And uh, we're, we don't mix the sexes during this, but we're, we're going to engage in this. And, and uh, I, you know, as pastor, it'll be my honor to kneel down and to wash my brother's feet. <laughs> it'll be an honor for Sister Haddon to kneel down and wash one of her sister's feet so we can serve one another. And so when we come back together again on Sunday, the beauty of unity and purity shines through the koinonia and the fellowship of the people of God. And so the table's about fellowship. It's about partnership. It's the cup of the Lord. And we want to make sure that we have no division. And, uh, we are agreeing together. Uh, we're going to sacrifice together this year. We're going to be barren builders together. I'm, 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 I, I just, I, I, I feel something so special. Um, and, and there are individuals that, that, that are not here tonight. That honestly, I feel that if you notice somebody's not present, I feel that you should send this, send this link out and say, Hey, what, whatever you got to do before Sunday or Saturday comes, watch this lesson. This is so important. Um, and so <clears throat> that is, again, I could go on and on, but that is in a nutshell, nut, uh, in a nutshell, uh, what we're doing uh, when we come together for communion. We are not coming to a divided table. We are not coming to a table of division or a table of impurity but we're preparing ourselves and we are as the family of God. We are approaching that table and we are remembering the past Exodus, looking towards the future Exodus, but in the present, serving one another as the body of Christ, thankful for the family of God that we've been given. And oh God, I want to be pure and I want to grow as a member of that body. And um, I want to help the body. I don't want to be a detraction to the body. I want to serve the body. And so um, that is it. Why don't we just thank God right now where we are? Um, I wish we were together right now because the Holy Ghost is just really moving. Uh, but why don't we thank God for the precious truth of this, of this, of this word, of, of the understanding of the table of fellowship. God, we thank you right now. God, throughout the course of this lesson, I have felt your presence. God, I am so thankful for the body. I'm so thankful for the people of God. God, as we move towards this weekend, God, I'm asking, prepare us, God. Prepare our hearts. As we engage in that covenantal meal together, 
the koinonia, the fellowship of the body of Christ. And God, as we move towards our Saturday service where we engage in foot washing, God, where we serve one another, where God, we submit ourselves and God, we put aside envying and strife. And God, for that moment, God, there is nobody, God, pastor or otherwise, that is any greater or any higher than anybody else, God, but we are equal together in the eyes of God and we serve one another, God, so that we can come together on Sunday and enjoy in that body a fellowship that you've given us, God, and sit at that table together. God, I pray the Holy Ghost would be in every home. And God, I pray right now, God, that this this small group study would bring fruit and fruition. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, thank you all for coming. And again, there were several that did not make it tonight. You see the list. Please, if you've got a relationship with them, please text the link to this or the Facebook um, video. Tag somebody in it. Please tell them you got to watch this. I, I really feel it's very, very important. Um, if if you haven't realized this tonight, what, what we've heard about the table of communion of Koinonia, this is one of, again, I say this a lot, but this is one of the most powerful revelations that, that we could ever have in regards to communion and uh, the, the, the Eucharist or that table of fellowship and uh, what we're going to take a, a Sunday. Well, God's doing great things. I want everybody to get a good night's rest and thank you for all of your prayers and fasting. Please continue to keep me and my family in prayer. Surround your pastor and his family with prayer. Uh, continue to pray that God speaks to me and directs me because I want to lead well and I want to be a shepherd after God's own heart. Okay, well, hey, God bless every one of you. Thank you for coming tonight. I really pray that you felt what I felt. Uh, man, I hope tears were flowing because it was really difficult for me to 